Hello, dear ones, and welcome to the Amazing Way podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Beth Reese, mother of three awesome kids and founder of Yoginos Yoga for Youth. Listen and share this podcast. Hope you enjoy. When I was six years old and started hurling chairs at my mom, Dr. Beth Reese, in the dining court of the Salt Lake City Airport, she knew something was up. Hi, this is Jordan, and I'm one of her three awesome kids. Soon after that day at the airport, my mom learned that her daughter, me, had sensory processing disorder considered by many to be a spectrum disorder. My mom spent years searching and researching for tools to help me pause, center myself, create who I really am, and then press play. Thus, she developed Flower Power Breath, which I still use to this day in college, and she also found a passion for helping others find their way through the means of yoga. The Amazing Way podcast synthesizes over two decades of my mom's work, bringing mindfulness, mental hygiene, and yoga on and off the mat to teachers, parents, and families in homes, classrooms, schools, and beyond. This podcast offers practical ideas and tools for integrating research-based self-regulation tools into daily life. Take it from me, you want to check this podcast out. Yeah, baby. Hi, I'm Beth Reese. I'm the founder of Yoginos Yoga for Youth and the host of the Oh Amazing Way podcast. Welcome to our conversation today between me and Rick Yoder, who is a special education teacher in San Antonio. And he has also been participating in the Yoginos Yoga Yoginos Yoga for Youth, Registered Children's Yoga Teacher Program. And if you want more information on that, uh, get, reach out to me or check it out on the website. Rick, I'm so glad that you could be here today. How are you? I'm doing great, Beth. It's been a, a wonderful summer break. I've had a chance to take care of um, a lot of personal needs, but also, um, you know, started at the end of the school year with an awesome training uh, for, uh, with Yoginos, and then um, have just been uh, really trying to, to focus on, on setting an, an intention this summer of truly trying to relax and um, just prepare for the next school year. The last couple of years have actually been quite a rush in the summer months, so things mm -hmm. have kind of flown by. Um, but I'm excited to be here today, too, to talk with you some more about um, yoga and, and my kids and things like that. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, there's a phrase I love, which is go slow to go fast. So even in our, <clears throat> our space of relaxing, being on vacation, or even just throughout the day, like I, I can think of the times when I get in a hurry, and that's like when I spill my milk or spill coffee. Mm -hmm. So that goes slow to go fast. So awesome, awesome. Well, look, Rick and friends listening, as always, let's take a moment and get present and drop in together. And I'd like to invite us to do three nice breaths together and encourage us to do a flower power breath. And basically the difference of a flower power breath and another breath is that you're imagining that you're smelling something. So maybe you want to like pick, you know, chocolate brownie you know, I don't know. Um, right. But that idea that when you uh, physiologically, when you breathe in, like you're smelling something, you're, it kind mm -hmm. of tricks your body to think uh, so that it breathes, breathes in more expansively and deeply. 
So it also having the image of something positive, like a flower or something else you find that smells good, um, also helps the brain pause from what, if you're like in a trance or ruminating on something, if you're like, whoa, I just need to like pause that thought and thinking of that flower and smelling really can disrupt that like train the brain is on and really help you cultivate a great response instead of that like roaring reaction. So wherever you're sitting, uh, let's uncross our legs and hands. Um, and if it's available to you and you feel comfortable to softly close your eyes or at least lower your gaze if you're doing something and closing your eyes would be unsafe, of course, don't do that. And as you come to this nice, quiet sitting position, just take a moment and notice that your body is in fact sitting and where it is touching the chair, the ground, and just really get present to your body sitting. And then as you're ready, let's imagine picking that flower or chocolate chip cookie and bringing it to your nose. If you want, you can actually move your hand. If not, just imagine all of this. And let's take a nice inhale in, a breath in, smelling that flower. And exhale with an ah. That ah makes a nice vibration that also calms the body. Let's do another one, smelling in, breathe in. And out slowly. As you breathe in, notice the air coming in and your belly and chest growing large. As you breathe out, notice your shoulders, your belly, your body, your ears, your eyes softening. As you're ready, softly flutter your eyes open. And ah, uh, like I just, I don't know about you, Rick, that always just, I have this like wave of like being present and more calm every time I do that. Does that have that effect on you? It does, it does actually. That's one of the things that, um... I know like in my classroom and everything, when things are, are starting to bubble up and things like that, just even stopping for a moment and catching my breath and taking in a few deep breaths. Like if I'm teaching something that maybe my students are having a tough time understanding um, and I know that I have to modify it, um, accommodate it, um, uh, rework it, how I'm presenting it. A lot of times a couple of good, slow, deep breaths, whether I'm standing or whether I'm sitting, um, will help refocus me and it gives the kids a chance to also refocus as well. I've noticed sometimes when they see me breathing, um, they'll start breathing as well. And absolutely, know, I, close my, I close my eyes and they'll close theirs. I love it. And already you are, and I, I knew you would just dive in and I love it. And um, one of the things we know, and I know from teaching this work for over a decade is as the adult and whether that's the parents or the teacher, when we start doing this work and role modeling, the people around us cannot help but notice right. that we are managing ourselves in a different way. And either they get curious and ask questions or they just start doing it with us. So I love that. So Rick, I we met um, through the Oguinos Yoga for Youth trainings. 
And mm -hmm. Rick, uh, I mean, often I have like funny stories about people to share. And really, Rick, my my stories about you are, you know, you're you're a sizable dude. And you're just this, like, and I hope I don't embarrass you. So, you know. No, 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 no. This no, is no. such this gentle teddy bear and generous and giving. And what you guys got to know is that early on in the trainings, Rick learned that I like tea and, and a little bit of honey. And don't you know, this guy is so gracious, like brings me these just thoughtful gifts of tea and this really delicious Texas honey that we both like um, to almost every training. And, you know, how that, you know, what that just says to someone, Rick, um, just that, that like grace and kindness. It's, um, it's just so thoughtful and I've just so appreciated your generosity as well as like driving three hours in the rain to like co-teach with me at a breakfast yoga club class. So a plus. That was actually quite, that was actually quite fun. I mean, it fun. Uh, so it's like, um, you know, bringing it up and then you know planning that lesson with everything and and it just all worked out just finding the right uh children's book to put with it um it just all started and, and that was just a week after i took my first training um right you just like so, dove in yeah so, so it, it's it's one of those things that that um i see the the value of yoga um for adults um, it's one of those things that, you know, when, when you talk about yoga with someone, they think, oh, you've got to sit in lotus pose and you've got to be able to bend backwards. And, oh. and it's not, it's not that. And, and, you know, there's, I mean, some, in some classes, like in my class in San Antonio with my instructor, we always start with three ohms, but they're optional for you. And I really okay. find that in that time period, you're standing in mountain pose, you're standing up nice and tall. You've been breathing in. Um, you've got your hands at, at your heart center and those ohms actually are very calming and focusing and um, it actually people have actually in my class have said to me that they like um, to hear the ohm. I'm one of the only males in in some of the classes that I go to so that difference in pitch that difference in tone when you hear all the voices come together um, it kind of like rings almost in um um in singing they call it a chord so it comes in with the different tones and and rings and oh. and even some other people find it calming as well to hear a different a different sound for sure for sure and for listeners too and and, and i'm over here kind of making a half joke like ohm um so and what ohm is is it is uh it's a, a sound that is often made during a yoga class and a lot of people then you know, sometimes see it as like the stereotypical, right? Like the person, when you think of yoga, it's like someone sitting in lotus pose, oming. And the truth of the matter is, om is a sound that uh, is a representation that all things in the universe are connected. Mm -hmm. And so as we make that sound, it's a way to acknowledge we are all brothers and sisters on this planet. And even to imagine you know, in that moment that you um, make this sort of humming ohm sound, that there are people all around the planet creating that with you. And again, that we're all connected. It's also right. that uh, just like when we exhale the ah, 
that vibration is calming for mm -hmm. our body. So it just sets us up and the sound, all of it, super powerful. So yeah. let me tell you a little bit uh, for our listeners, a little bit about your background, Rick, um, so they can get the, uh, the scope of the breath of what you are bringing to the table in our conversation today. So I'm sure. going to read here. Uh, Rick is an educator with 16 years of experience in elementary and secondary school settings. His experience includes school administration, special education, math, English language arts. During his tenure as an educator, he's always worked with high-risk, high-need student populations, especially those with severe emotional challenges. Now, he's working on his PhD in educational leadership from the University of Texas at San Antonio. He has um, a background in occupational therapy and is choosing to uh, bring in and weave in yoga for youth and he's about to take the adventure of doing an adult yoga training where he will be trained to lead adult yoga classes. And what he and I uh, would like to visit with uh, our audience, with you guys about today, area of particular interest and expertise that Rick has, and it's around emotional intelligence and emotional qualities with youth. So Rick, I'm going to pose this question and, 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 and sure. have you dive into it. So you work with students right now who have, um, who've been diagnosed with what's called emotional disturbance. Right. So the first thing, uh, so sort of a two part question. The first one is what, like, what is that to have a diagnosis? Like what are the characteristics of being emotionally disturbed? And then how is that different from the big emotions that a lot of us have? Well, let's go, let's go in, let's go into the part about emotional disturbance. So when we, right. when we have a diagnosis of emotional disturbance, that means that um, a child or an adult has been seen by either um, a physician, a psychiatrist, or been evaluated by a psychologist um, and or evaluated by a school psychologist and found that there is um, something going on with their um, behavioral processing that creates an academic impairment. That's, that's the big difference. You can have an emotional disturbance. We have plenty, there's, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of people who have depression, that's considered an emotional disturbance. Um, you have people with bipolar disorder. You even have people uh, with schizophrenia. Um, but unless there's an academic need, then in schools, you'll actually have kids who have an emotional disturbance, but they're not receiving any services from special education. So in the special education realm, the emotional disturbance has to be so severe that it actually causes an academic delay in um, a student's functioning. So um, you have students um, in schools that um, will uh, be part of what we call a behavior mastery center. Um, they can be in a regular classroom setting with support. Um, they can um, also, in my case, the students that I work with uh, up until this past year, um, we operated on a completely separate campus for our students. So our, our kids that were diagnosed with an emotional disturbance that affected their academic needs 
their emotional disturbance was also so severe that they were considered um, a danger to themselves or others. So mm-hmm. these are kids that will elevate quickly. They'll ramp up. They'll um, look for uh, ways to be um, extremely physically aggressive. I mean, there there's some physical aggression. Like, for instance, I mean, when you've explained before about um, your daughter tossing chairs and, and things like that. Okay. That that's one form. Um, but for instance, um, in, in my classroom, we'll have a student, um, who for whatever reason starts to ramp up, cycle up so severe that we have to bring the other students out. And then anything that's in the classroom, that's not bolted down can pretty much go, you know, anywhere. So we're trying to protect the child as well as protect the other students and get them to calm down as well and try to teach as well during the day. Um, but that's, that's just that's a little that's, juggling there, Rick. That's a lot of juggling. Um, it's one of those things that, um, you know, you can have days like that, but then you can have days where absolutely nothing but learning occurs the entire day. Um, and it, it all depends on, on a lot of things. Right. And and before we get into um, the second half, we'll talk a little bit more about ways that um, occupational therapy and, of course, yoga, um, how you've been able to integrate that and how it's making a difference. And we'll save that for the second half. Um, Sure. So curious, are there any are there any characteristics that are kind of known causes of creating the emotional disturbance that is where it impacts the academics. So any known causes? The biggest um, factor that we see right now, I can say with all of my kids, um, has been one or more forms of trauma in their Mm. lives. So a lot of our our students come from homes where they've been separated um, from their birth parents um, as early as three months old. Um, that they went into CPS, into Child Protective Services custody. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a three-month-old and his twin brother and the three-month-old shows up, at the, is taken to the hospital, has broken ribs as a three-month-old, it, it's not an accident. So we have uh, a lot of our, our students right now have been victims. Uh, and I, I don't really want to use the word victim. I, I have to be real careful about that. Um, but have been exposed to so much emotional and physical trauma that the way that they act out is a lot of times you see the the trauma the trauma essentially bubbles back up from what they experienced before and sometimes um you know we have a a couple of students that you're not sure if what they're talking about actually occurred in their current home or if it's something that they're talking about in their past. So sometimes you have to, I mean, that's when I call in the school psychologist and the counselor and, and we try and get to the, to the bottom of it as far as, you know, where is this coming from? Yeah. And I know with recent research, there's more information out there. I mean, of course there's, you know, how the brain works and flipping your lid and the amygdala emotional center takes over and you're you're really upset freeze fight flight kicks in all of that right so you're so when when you get to the place of freeze fight flight and your prefrontal cortex the thinking part of your brain it's like it's a little disassociated because we're trying to protect ourselves from a perceived danger usually not a real one often perceived but it's showing up in our body as 
Uh, I love the phrase real, but not true. And what Mm -hmm. we know about our our friends who've experienced trauma is that there's that and the trauma lives in the body, in the tissues in the body. And often why we see, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, and then I want to follow up on something with you. Um, part of why we see often people who have trauma-based experiences or like PTSD where the reaction is like zero to 100 in a second is because the trauma is living in the body and it's been triggered in that split second and it's like just like when it happened that day. Is that, am I getting that, that can, right? Yes, that can happen. Um, a lot of times uh, our students do have uh, diagnosed PTSD and um, it can be something as simple as another child just even laughing um, at them about doing something or if they didn't do something right or um, a big one, my, um, the majority of my students have reading difficulties are one or two grade levels or more behind in their reading uh, because of that academic, that emotional disturbance is preventing their academic processing from occurring um, from the way that, you know, you and I or, um, you know, another child would, would be able to process. So, you know, you have all this emotional energy going on in your brain and you're trying to also try and process. And so let's say you've got all that frontal activity going where we know the emotional centers are in the brain. And all of a sudden you're messing up on words. You're reading out loud. You're messing up on words. Now you think that, you know, you're a failure and one student says something or one student corrects you. Um, it's, it's, um, that's one of the things I really try and set up with my kids. It's like, please don't correct each other. We don't correct each other. We will work the, the teacher, the instructional assistant, we will work with you on the words because coming from the teacher, coming from the instructional assistant, it's more of a guiding where if another student corrects another student, it's, it's more like, Oh my God, you know, this is just, and all that just wells up everything. And the student feels emotionally helpless. Like they can't do, do anything right. And then that triggers everything. And, um, you know, you'll have a student who, walks out of the classroom, runs out of the classroom sometimes, or, you know, that's, um, and they'll try and, and go after the other student, um, because that's what they've been exposed to. And so that's a learned behavior. Um, and those, I'm sure that, those feelings of like not being worthy, fear of, you know, failure or a failure has resulted in, physical violence. So all of that just surfacing. And and I remember when I was teaching um, in a very urban elementary school, I had a student who would often walk out of my classroom. And my half joke was that my portable was in California because it was the furthest portable from the office. And the first time he walked out, I was beside myself. And when I let the administration, it was like, he's fenced in, he'll be fine. He knows where to go. Rick, you mentioned something a few minutes ago, and I just want to circle back to it um, because I think it's fascinating and maybe some of you listeners are also curious. I love that you said, I don't, I want to, I'm hesitating to use the word victim, that these humans are victims. Would you, I think that's beautiful. And would you elaborate on that? Well, the thing of it is, is when we look at it, um, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, you can come at this from, from different angles. Some people say, well, you're just trying to be politically correct. And I'm like, no, I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to 
ensure that I establish a learning environment where my kids will feel that they are the most successful and are able to work around their challenges. So instead of using the word victim, I would say challenged. Okay. Instead of using the words emotional disturbance, which I mean, we have to, we'll see the words emotional disturbance in our paperwork, but that doesn't mean that we have to always use those terms because when you look at the word disturbance, it really, disturbance can mean so many different things. Emotionally disturbed is, oh, you need to be in a mental institution. And it's like, no, not at all. You can have a disturbance that the disturbance actually means a disturbance of the thought process, the disturbance of the, the patterns in the brain that are going on. But what that creates, what that disturbance creates is an emotional challenge in the classroom. So I really look at trying to use um, language that sets positive um, examples for my students. So I'll say I work with emotionally challenged students Mm -hmm. because I have, I mean, some of their creative thinking, some of their processing, some of their uh, the work that they produce, some of the artwork that they produce, projects that they produce are absolutely fantastic when they take the time um, and they have a chance to work through the challenge of the emotional trauma that they're dealing with. So I really try and, and move away from uh, negative connotation language. So victim, um, disturbed, um, things like that, I try and replace with a word like challenge. Because at that point, it's like, okay, I have a challenge. I have to learn how to process my behavior in a different way. I have to learn how to self-regulate my behavior in a different way. Um, I'm just a nine-year-old kid. How am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Um, and so, you know, those are the challenges. You know, I'll I'll never be able to get this. And with enough practice, with enough time, I think with enough um, implementing um, our peace center, our flower power breath, things like that is going to um, really work. There's a part of me that I wish I would have been able to find our training, our YYY training um, earlier in the year um, to be able to implement it further. But I mean, I look at, um, with, with my students, my students know that every day is a clean slate. Every day is a new day. It didn't, doesn't matter what happened the day before. Um, we start out the day fresh and, um, everything is a learning experience. So, um, I love that. And I, I think also the thing I know from, from experience too, with, with victim is that if I say I'm a victim, I'm giving the circumstance, the other person, the, that challenge, the control. Yeah. And, and it, but when I take myself out of the space of being a victim, then I am responsible. Right. I do have the say, I do get to learn these tools. So that's what I also hear. You're really empowering your students. And, you know, and as we get ready to move into the second half, also to say that, to avoid labeling our kids, labeling ourselves is so important because especially we know with yogic practices, with mindfulness, with breathing, that we do have the capacity to literally rewire our brains. Neuroplasticity, the research is there that 
we can build new connections through these practices. And so also to label someone is to say, or could suggest there is no opportunity for growth and change. And of course that's, that's not true. So, right. so Rick, we're about to, let's take a break. And the okay. second half, we are going to hear some specific examples, some tools you all can take with you um, in looking at how uh, Rick has integrated, you know, yoga, some of his occupational therapy into the classroom, some of those specific tools and how you can do it in your classroom at home and how they're really making a difference in his life as a teacher, as, you know, a partner and, and professional and uh, making a difference in the lives of his students. So Rick, thank you, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Interested in learning more about making good choices for yourself, others, and the universe on and off the yoga mat? Hi, this is Grace, one of Beth's awesome kids, and I want you to know that my mom's resources and programs with Yoginos, Yoga for Youth, have your back. Be amazing and check out the trainings, award-winning bilingual resources, licensee program, and one-on-one coaching opportunities with my mom, Beth, at yoginos.com. That's Y-O-G-I-N-O-S.com. Now back to you, mom. Welcome back to the second half of the Amazing Way podcast. My name is Beth Reese. I'm the founder of Yoginios Yoga for Youth and the host of the Amazing Way. And I'm here today with Rick Yoder, a special education teacher who specializes in working with youth who experience emotional challenges. And in the first half, we talked a bit about the difference between um, the diagnosis of emotional disturbance, and we were saying that trying not to label people and instead veer towards an emotional like obstacle or challenge, the difference between that and just having big emotions, right? And here in the second half, um, I'm about to hand the baton over to Rick, who's going to share um, one of his quick go-to tools that he uses in his classroom. And then we're going to hear more about his choice to add in yoga and kids' yoga into his classroom. So Rick, would you share with us uh, the tool that you like to use? One of the tools that I really like to use is um, what we call in Yoginos the Shanti hug. And part of that is, um, to me, as an occupational therapist, one of the things that I learned um, or that you learn as your primary foundation is that you adapt your focus, you adapt how you do something, you adapt to overcome an obstacle to overcome a challenge so when you think about it sometimes um you see people with their uh when they're practicing yoga and they're able to wrap their hands around and um have them out in front and and uh, overlap and underlap and as you mentioned earlier like a pretzel (laughs) as you mentioned earlier i'm a big guy so (laughs) my shoulders my arms my forearms don't quite do that Um, But one of the things that a a person told me is you can um, get the same feeling you're looking what your body is doing in that is a compression and it's um, that wrapping um, and everything is creating almost what we refer to in OT, especially in working with students who are on the spectrum as um, neutral warmth and as as compression. And so one of the things that I like to use in just helping myself to decompress and to helping students to decompress 
and things like that is in, in Yoginios is called the Shanti hug. So you take a big deep breath and you put your arms out to the sides, take a big deep breath and bring your right arm under your left arm and bring your left arm over your right arm and then take another big deep breath. So we're doing like a big self bear hug for those of you. Big self bear hug. And so you're getting those elbows crossed in the front, much like you're getting the elbows crossed in, in that, um, that twist, that twisted pretzel hand pose we were talking about. And then you repeat it for the other side. So you bring your arms back out again, take another deep breath and then cross, cross them over the opposite way and give yourself another big deep hug and um we find that that's a good way to start the day it's a good way to end the day um if we have a student who is um severely ramping up with their emotional challenges and they start to literally come apart and explode the thing that we'll do with them after we get them to calm back down and come back into the classroom is when we have to remove the the traumatizing stimulus as to what caused we have to figure out what the traumatizing stimulus was a lot of times we know ahead of time um, based on what happened but then to be able to bring everything back in so like when we were talking earlier about um, you know if a student makes fun of another student then um, we'll do um, we'll make sure that the student that the student who got ramped up is calm uh, enters and that the student then who was the cause of the of the emotional outburst that they then work together to apologize to each other effectively so one of the things we really did is um, a three-step apology so it's not this sorry and you go from there you take accountability for your actions and I think that's one of the things that uh, I find in uh, yoga um, both as an adult um, and with my kids is that it helps us work on our accountability. So what are some of those, like take us really on the court so our listeners can, can have some practical examples they can use in their classroom and home. What are, what are a couple of things you've integrated this year that have really made a difference? One of the things that um, I really integrated um, in, the, in the time that um, I started my children's training, of course, was flower power breath and trying to get... Uh, because it's one of those things that, you know, if I see that a student is ramping up and things like that, if we can get them to s slow down and we don't just say breathe, um, sometimes they've thought, oh, you just need to breathe. Or uh, the worst thing you can say to a student who, or a child who has an emotional disturbance is you need to calm down. Um, because yeah. that's just going to cycle up that energy even further. That's um, also the worst thing you can say to me when I'm upset, by the way, is just calm down. Don't tell me yeah. that. Yeah. We, we <laughs> think about it. Um, you know, I mean, when you talk about, like we were talking about earlier, everyone has their own pool of emotions when you mm -hmm. think about it and what upsets us can be a variety of things. I mean, one of the things that I know yoga has really helped me with is just even staying calm in real stressful situations like, um, say, a bad traffic jam and things like that. When you're trying to get to yoga class and there's 50 cars at the stoplight right. and the stoplights are timed really fast for some reason that day. And you're just like, OK, just take a few flower power breaths and 
breathe it back out and remember why you're here and remember what you're doing and how this is going to benefit you. Um, because I think about it like this, when I, when I went back to yoga in October, um, to reconnect, I was, uh, I was trying to recover from an injury. I ended up with a cervical disc injury that we don't know how it happened. It just happened. Even going back to, um, you know, being an OT and, um, learning how to focus on function and accommodation of, of things. Um, sometimes medical people can be their own worst nightmares in treating themselves, um, or seeking care. It's like, I was like, it'll get better. It'll get better. I'll just have to keep stretching. It'll get better. It'll get better. And it wasn't getting better. But then through yoga, through that yoke, through that connection, we started moving my body in different ways and getting uh, strength back, getting conditioning back, getting adapted movement back. That's one of the things with OT is we adapt a lot of different things. So, um, you know, for instance, uh, in, in our classroom, um, when I see a student who's frustrated, let's say that we're doing a writing exercise or something, a student is frustrated, their writing doesn't look good. Um, you know, I'll have them stop, set their pencil down, close their eyes if they want. Um, you have to be careful with that, especially with children with trauma, that closing their eyes is, can actually re-trigger an episode. Mm-hmm. I'll give them an opportunity to, set, to step back. Um, I have a comfortable spot where they can, uh, we have like a beanbag, um, beanbag chair. We have a mat. We have a couple of mats. I'm looking at bringing more yoga mats into our classroom and um, our actual start of the day will be doing um, uh, a sun salutation or working through that sun salutation and, and really um, implementing everything with that. Um, I'm trying to, to work on adapting what we call quantum learning, which focuses on um, teaching through gardeners multiple intelligences into um, our classroom yoga practice. And... Um, you know, establishing that peace corner where it's um, honored. Like I said earlier, sometimes when a student is going off, it's kind of like the Tasmanian devil just kind of hit from the cartoon that kind of hit your room. It's this dust storm and, and everything. So if I can get them to learn how to honor the peace center and that and, and without that, saying calm down. Right, right. Um, so... So one of the things I've mentioned in previous episodes is when we do start introducing something like flower power or shanti hug that we want to teach it during times when like everything's going great, you know, and then to say or role model. Now imagine you're angry or imagine the last time you were angry and, and now try you like add in the shanti hug or the flower power breath. Um, right. So layering in the learning before, you know, the fire starts. Um, and you mentioned your peace place. What what would be some things that you would have in a peace place, or if there's a parent listening, or a teacher? Like, what might that you create in your home or classroom that a child, as they notice that they're ramping up, that then they can go to this peace place? So, what does your peace place look like? Well, my peace place is is in the corner, um, a small wooden table, uh, no glass, no hard plastic, anything like that. I really want to focus this next year um, on buy-in from the students. So when we talk about flower power, you know, to have some actual flowers there 
um, some artificial flowers that we've scented with some, some different scents, being careful, of course, about any students that have allergies. When you have a student who has a severe emotional challenge, the buy-in of, of trying to get them to imagine that they're picking a flower um, is less likely to occur, this is in my professional opinion, than if they actually had something tangible that they can hold in their hands. Yes. Um, and that's true the younger the child, if I'm sorry. The younger the child, the more concrete learners. So the ability, mm-hmm. like a one-year-old or an 18-month-old or two-month-old to imagine a flower is almost impossible cognitively. So to have a flower that they can actually use. Great, great point, Rick. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and what so, I hear you saying is that also continues if there's some emotional challenge. Yeah. And so, of course, we have to, of course, we have to be careful. Um, you know, I think one of the, the best flowers that you can use if you're using real flowers is carnations. They last and they have beautiful scents and the kids can go and, and work with that. So with the occupational therapy mm-hmm. and um, function adaptability mm-hmm. um, and, and the piece place in your classroom, so maybe you have a, a flower um, that they can smell, would you right. also have some, whether that be, um, I know sometimes people use beading or other activities where they're using their hands or maybe doing mindful coloring, like what, how, would, how would some of these yeah. adaptability pieces maybe show up in your piece place? Yeah. One of the things that, you know, as teachers, we look at uh, manipulatives. Uh, I would definitely have some functional manipulatives in um, the piece place, some clay or some Play-Doh, some beads that they can work with, even some beads that they can just just roll through their fingers. That, mm. that fine motion, um, that sensory motion can help um, calm a child. Um, you know, you just, like I said, you have to establish the boundaries. If we're going to use the clay as the medium or the Play-Doh as the medium, we don't throw it, um, you know, and things like that. If you're coming to the Peace Corner, it's not, you're not going to re-erupt and try and go um, back into the situation. It is to bring yourself back down to self-regulate back down. We did with the kids. My, my school district actually has a person who is uh, a certified mindfulness expert did the program through UMass. And uh, he came in one day with one of the librarians. We did uh, the beads in a bottle um, activity. Uh, But what we used was we actually used plastic water bottles that were half full. And then they used uh, liquid soap in them, clear liquid soap, the beads, the trinkets, a little bit of glitter glue and things like that. And then they, they sealed the cap on it. So they hot glued the caps um, so that they were able then to use that as a calming source. There'll be manipulatives there that um, they can. And and in the show notes, we can include uh, maybe some suggestions on some specific manipulatives you'd recommend people look into. And also a, um, I can include a recipe for making those, the glitter jars and, it has so they're so great as you suggested rick and helping students learn what it is to visually focus because of course mm-hmm. when you shake up glitter in a jar who doesn't want to look at that like a um, right also you can teach them that when uh that it can also be kind of like a model of how the brain works that when we're ruminating or when our brain's in a trance or we're upset that that's like oh when you shake it that's like all the glitter flying around 
Uh And then as the glitter settles, that that's like how our brain can feel, our body can feel when we are mindful and present and in the moment. So we will include all of those things in the show notes as well as how to get a hold of Rick. And Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. And I would love to have you come back and dive into more tips. So will you do that? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. That's one awesome. of the things is that as, as I gain experience with this, um, we share, uh, we learn from yeah. each other. And, um, you know, one of the things that um, I would say, I would suggest for, for parents um, who have children with, with that they think might have an emotional challenge is be your child's advocate, speak up, mm. ask for assistance from the school, get documentation from uh, your child's physician. Don't think that it's something that is just growing pains and will go away. Um, It's not something that goes away if a child does have an emotional challenge, an emotional disturbance, a diagnosed emotional disturbance. It doesn't go away. There are treatments available. Um, There are, you know, obviously there's, there's that social stigma that goes along with special education. But if that is indeed the best environment for your child to learn with the assistance that we provide, more and more of special education these days is actually inclusion-based in the classroom so that they're not separated from their peers. I'd be more than happy to come back and share our experiences with our um, ongoing development of Eugenios in our classroom and our successes and um, what works, what might work, what might not work. Yeah, absolutely. Always looking to tweak. Well, great. Well, Rick, thank you for being here. And for those of you listening, be sure to check out the show notes for, for, for more ideas on tips and to everyone. Thank you for listening. Be sure to share, subscribe, and as always be amazing. See you next time. Thank you for joining my mom and her guests on The Amazing Way. Hi, this is Cole, Beth's son. And for more information on bringing mental hygiene or mindfulness, yoga on and off the mat, her award-winning bilingual resources, and other programs into your home and school, check out yoginos.com. Be sure to share this podcast, and remember, you are amazing. amazing.